Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, this is the sixth designfootball.com podcast. Uh, my name is Jay. I am the resident blogger on designfootball.com. Today I'm joined by Jason Lee, who is a freelance apparel designer. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jay. And you know what? You did really well with that. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, I. That's something that Jason wasn't supposed to say. I have problems uh, pronouncing the word apparel, and he thinks that's that's uh, funny. Apparently, uh, <laughs> Jason, what is it you actually doing now? So you a freelance apparel designer? What does that actually involve? Um, you know what? Essentially, it's the same as doing um, a full time gig. Um, the only difference is, you know, you're working with uh, more brands, and I would say generally for uh, people who are doing freelance, you're working with smaller brands um, as an apparel designer because, you know, the bigger brands, they've got their stable of designers. And, you know, if they are working with freelancers, then they tend to be uh, graphic designers. So, you know, but from an apparel point of view, yeah, it's, I would say it's more with the, the smaller brands. And um, me specifically, I would say I work with sport brands only because you know the last 10 years uh, maybe a little more than 10 years i've focused more on uh, sport performance okay um so you you work for several brands don't don't obviously can't you probably can't give us specifics because of the nature of the industry and all these things are, are closely guarded secrets but what sort of projects are you working on at the minute um you know have been over the past few weeks yeah i would say that um in general you know athleisure is a pretty hot topic and it's you know it's a big crossover um to sport so because of that and it being the hot topic uh i'd say a lot of uh my work has to you know or circles around that and um yeah, in general, yeah, I would say a lot of sport-related. Um, you know, the one thing I can say, because, yeah, normally a lot of this stuff um, we're not allowed to talk about until it, um, until the collections come out. But, you know, you know spring, Zlatan, he's coming out with a collection, um, and I was able to work on that. And so you'll see that in a couple months. And, you know, I can't really talk about what exactly is in the collection until it comes out. But, yeah, that will be dropping pretty soon. That, that's, uh, that's, that's a bit of a scoop that we've got there. So uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, this is. And I assume he, that's, the, that's the Zlatan you're referring to, I assume. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, we are, there's so many. Um, but the, <laughs> is, is this a Nike range or is this completely him? No, it's him um, in collaboration with uh, another brand. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's more or less him. Okay. All right. Excellent. Okay. Just, just go back. Uh, a lot of the people listening to this will know that you've worked for both Adidas and Hummel. Um, now, what we're interested in is, is also how you got there. So for a lot of people listening, the, how you got to work for, say, Adidas is, is pretty interesting. Uh, what did you do as a kid? Uh, as a kid, were you designing things, designing football kits, for example? Um, actually, no. And uh, growing up and, you know, all the way through high school, I never put any sort of focus on art or design. And, you know, I think um, what first piqued my interest was this magazine in America called Details. And I just read recently that it's gone defunct. But, um, you know, at the time it had just come out and it they... Um, really celebrated uh, men's fashion in a different way to GQ. Um, I think GQ was a bit more like uh, Vanity Fair, where you had much more text and just articles. Um, but Details, you know, that was a magazine that was almost um, a precursor to what we see going on now, where, you, you know, it's all about imagery, um, so I think when I first saw that, you know, it piqued my interest in design in general, but, um, you know, I never, um, you know, thought to be a designer and, um, so what sort I of age know, are we it, talking? So th this, this was fashion design that, that's, that's yeah, sort of I'd say we're around 17, 18. And then even when I went off to, uh, university, I went off to study uh, economics and then architecture. I actually bounced around quite a bit and then ultimately in the end, uh, didn't earn a degree. Um, so I don't know, I guess those, those years after high school were still a bit formative. Um, you know, I think um, a job in design or art, it just wasn't, it just wasn't something on the cards, you know, but. Right. I mean, you've got architecture there. So obviously there's some crossover there. So, so yeah. how did it then take the direction that it took of, of getting into apparel design? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I don't know if I go all the way back. It's I have to say that my parents really were the, the influence to where I am now. Um, my father growing up, he was an architect and my mother, she was in the U.S. Air Force. Um, if you put two and two together, you know, we had lived on base. We had um, been surrounded by soldiers in uniform. Um, and then my father, he was very influenced by a um, German Bauhaus. So um, I think that's where the, the technical part comes in and mm. the uniforms you know, as well, I mean, you, you can't get any more functional than um, military uniforms. So it was, I think it was really, you know, my parents and I just, I don't know, I suppose it wasn't really a, an epiphany, but it almost kind of grew into one where I, you know, decided, you know what, actually, I don't want to 
study economics or as much as I like architecture, um, you know, I'm also drawn to this other world. So I think, you know, it, it just kind of naturally happened, you know, and also growing yeah. up, I, I played, uh, football and, um, you know, growing up, we, we only really had German brands around us, Adidas being one of them. So I remember those days when I was head to toe Adidas and, you know, I'm sure that has a big influence or had a big influence as well. Yeah. So, so when you say football, you mean soccer, I take it. Yeah. Just to be clear, because you grew up in America, but, but it was always, it was soccer that, that drew, that attracted you more than American football. Would that be correct? Um, actually, um, a lot of sports, you know, at that time attracted me equally. Um, soccer or football, you know, American football, tennis, baseball, you know, I, I played all those sports as well. Um, but I don't know, ultimately there's something that just, that drew me to, um, football. Um, I don't know. I think it was just everything about it, um, including the kids. So I can't. I don't know. I don't know how to verbalize it, but it just happened. Yeah. So obviously there was, you, you gravitated towards it organically from what you say there, but what was the kind of the first foot in the door then? How did that come about? In terms of a job, you mean? Yeah. So, so obviously your education is a little bit away from, from that sort of thing. Was it graphic design or textile design or how, how did you actually get no. into? Um, you know, I'd moved to New York um, and then ended up going to school to study fashion design over at um, FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And uh, again, you know, I think at that time, school and I were like oil and water. Um, so I would do, a, you know, amazingly well the first semester and then end up dropping out second semester. And lo and behold, the same thing happened at FIT. And so I left and ended up um, working in um, high fashion retail um, on sales, in sales, on the floor, um, selling menswear. Um, these were brands like Come to Garcon, Yoji, Isimiyaki, mm -hmm. um, you know, just all the high fashion men's brands. And to be honest, I would say most of my learning came from, from that and, you know, also living in New York on my um, days off or just, yeah, private time, I would go into sports shops and um, technical outdoor uh, sports stores and just look at all the clothing inside and out. So in a way, I feel like um, I did my own sort of learning, but, um, but I really did delve into it in New York um was a big part of that mm. okay so, so is this in a in a big department store that you were doing the sales well where a was couple. this actually the the first one um it was called charvari um it was on you know in the up um midtown and what 57th street that's just it's in the heart of where all the big uh fashion department stores are but 
Sharvari was a mom and pop um, shop or boutique that, you know, they're, they're famous for bringing in all the, um, the up and coming designers before anyone else knew of them. Um, and, you know, to work there was amazing because, you know, I not only worked with the, the clothing, but I saw what came in. So I learned, you know, how to merchandise and um, saw what, uh, saw customers buying patterns. Um, yeah, I think from a business angle, it really helped me, but also just kind of like um, filling out a whole collection when you have to design one yourself. Yeah, so it, I take it in terms of the customers coming in as well. They were they were inter people interested in sort of cutting edge design. So even the customers coming in, you would have been seeing influential flash fashion in what they were wearing as well. Is that would that be the case? Oh um, yeah, in in some ways, but depending on um, I guess depending on who you ask. Of course, you know at Charivari they had um, a lot of celebrity customers, and you know. I think celebrities themselves at that point, they really don't care what other people think. So they're wearing whatever they want. Um, <laughs> so, it, you know, in that sense, um, you saw extremes. You know. <laughs> so that must have been a, an influence for the future, I suppose, that, that attitude of sort of the shackles are off. I, can, I could go to the extreme lengths. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I mean, even, you know, I would say even before that, uh, um, I don't know. I had just always been open to different influences. And I remember in um, high school, um, just skip, skipping, skipping school and going to the university library because we lived right next to Penn State University. It's one of the biggest universities in the States. Um, and I went to the art department which took up a whole floor and going through a lot of the graphic design uh, books and magazines. And, you know, I, remember, I would say two of the big, big influences at that time were um, a Japanese magazine, graphic design magazine called idea, which is still around. And um, um, the graphic design studio designer Republic from Sheffield. I mean, they were, at that time, they were killing it. And even a lot of what they had done then is still relevant today, you know. So, you know, if I look, if I really look back, there's some, you know, some things that stick out. And I would say Designers Republic, Idea Magazine, Come to Garcon. Yeah, and they were just pushing the envelope of what was possible. Um, so... I don't know any 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 time any designer or artist had um, done that, you know, it always I was attracted to that. Hmm. So obviously the influence is there now. How did then this this change happen from you were working in sales and 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 for your personal life you were getting influence there? How did that go from actually being on the on the drawing board side of things? How did that come about? Um, actually, you know what? I had left New York, gone back, uh, to school for architecture. Seems like I hadn't learned any better. Um, so I'd gone back to school and 
again. Um, first semester, I did really well. And then second semester, dropped out and ended up just hanging out, playing football and yeah, just hanging out. So when that semester ended, I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, so moved back home um, with my mother. Um, really didn't have a pot to piss and had n absolutely nothing, you know, um, and I, but I always had this um, calling for fashion. So, you know, my mom ended up buying uh, a Mac for me an illustrator and um, illustrator quick start guide. And I'd say for any, any um, aspiring designers, you know, wanting to learn Illustrator, I would say definitely get the quick start guide because it's, it's the book isn't that thick, but it goes, goes through all the essentials. Um, so she ended up buying the Mac. I learned the software uh, within two weeks and put a portfolio together and then um, looked, looked online and um, saw a job posting in New York. Called, called him up and then next, th next day went in for an interview, got the job. So I started out as a design assistant and um, really mass market uh, um, apparel. And that's, you know, designing um, bottoms and shorts for uh, private label, you know. So for customers like Walmart, Target, Mervins, these are just big, you know, um, the big box uh, retailers, you know, um, in the state. So really started from, from the bottom, but, um, you know, but you, doing that. So you went in and, and designing from day one, you weren't assisting someone else. It was, it was literally your portfolio is good. Okay. We can give you a certain amount of products to actually design yourself. Was it, how, how did that work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Gene who hired me, um, you know, firstly, I would say it's always great to have a mentor. And he was, he was definitely a mentor to me and, um, you know, also nurtured uh, my interest in design. So I think that helped a lot and then trusted me too. So I ended up designing a lot. And, but, you know, I remember those days, um, you know, imagine living in New York City, but being in the office until 2 a.m., working and and designing but you know where new york's a place where there there are just so many distractions that could take you away and um i don't know i had just gotten gotten i guess bit by the bug and just got really into it and it's and also just got into uh illustrator as well so you know it was just um I don't know. It was almost like uh, Zen moments, really, and mm. so. So you felt yeah. like you were home. Yeah, definitely, definitely. After you know, after high school, and kind of just balancing from here and there, and you know, not really knowing, but you know, in a way, I did know. It's just that I'd never really thought about it, you know. I knew so, what, so what I was age, supposed to do, but I just didn't. What, what age were you around this? That mid-20s are we talking or a little bit later yeah, or what? Yeah, yeah 27. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to 
I think a lot of people listed that will that will fill them with a lot of hope because I think I think that that story is echoed around the world of people not really knowing uh, what direction they should be taking and to to hear a story about someone who who really began in design in their mid to late twenties is is a a good a good thing to hear, an encouraging thing to hear. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Though though I have to say that before that though I I still had this interest in fashion and I studied it. It's just that I hadn't designed, you know. I, I up until then I built up um, a good history of um, fashion and you know particularly menswear and sport performance. Um, I had always been drawn to outerwear, so you know, like I said, I was studying outerwear inside and out. I just hadn't put uh, pen to paper, so to speak, and designed. So okay, so there, there really, was a, a basis um, of knowledge there. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately for anyone who's, you know, an aspiring uh, designer, because, you know what, at the end of the day, we're all uh, fantasy kit designers. Um, it's just that some put more focus into it and then end up making a career out of it. But, you know, I'm no different than um, designers that are on design football. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. Okay, so let's jump forward a little bit and so how how many roles let's say between that and then rocking up at adidas how did that work how did how did the uh, career trajectory happen yeah well you know after after being in new york for a couple of years i I'd, I'd gotten complacent so ended up calling a recruiter and she told me about uh, the job at uh, abercrombie um and you know, ended up going there. The, the thing I really appreciate about my time at Abercrombie was that, you know, I was working on outerwear. And the thing with outerwear is that it's full of bells and whistles. So it's not like you're designing a, the basic T-shirt, you know, you're, you've got much more involved into it. And then I had, you know, I worked um, with my uh, right-hand man who is, um, the tech designer. So in the industry, it's you know, you call um, you call them either a tech designer or developer. So you're the one designing it, and then the developer or tech designer, you know, does the number crunching and sometimes the pattern making, um, etc. And just punching in a lot of the information into the tech packs that get sent off to the factories. Um, not okay, to say so, that I don't know anything about pattern making because I do, um, but you're, you know, you're working as a team. And I think to be a successful designer, you, you have to have a good relationship with your tech designer. So, so is this sort of a, a graphic designer and a textile man? Is this, is this, or, or woman, is this the sort of relationship? Is that, is that the backgrounds, the two backgrounds? The one would have a sort of two dimensional uh, graphic design background and one person and the other person would be textile design trained or something would that be right no because i would say okay. that i'm not i'm not a graphic designer i mean I, graphic design is part of what i do but i'm also an apparel designer and i think to be a good apparel designer you have to have an under, understanding of fit patterns construction and execution because um if you're working 
with, with products that are mass produced, you have to have an understanding of what's doable, what's, um, what's producible at costs, et cetera. So, you know, you can't just draw pretty little pictures. You have to have an understanding and, um, you okay. Know. So, so the problem with that, I take it would be if you were just a graphic designer, you would draw a pretty picture, it would go to a textile man and they would come back and say, well, no, you can't do it for all these different reasons. And the process would take too long. So you yeah. both need to have a, a basis in, in knowing yeah. what, what goes into the construction of a garment. Yes. Um, okay. To that too, you know, I would say that's, the, that's also a big difference between um, let's say, having a job as an apparel designer in the industry and being a fantasy kit designer where, you know, as a fantasy kit designer, you can do whatever you want. Um, mm. The world is your oyster. And um, many times in fantasy kit design, a lot of the focus is on the graphic design. But the thing with football kit design is that there's a whole nother world. And that world is, the the silhouette of the kit itself or of the shirt or the shorts so you have to either design you have to engineer it um the cutting lines or the um the knit everything you know it's not just about um putting a sash on on a kit it's it's also about designing the kit itself the, and you know um kit design football kit design um you know in particular there's a big focus on collars for example and so mm -hmm. you know you need to be able to design collars that um that are executable in mass production so that's where i think that you know to be successful in apparel design you have to have you know, some sort of base knowledge on, um, you know, what's doable and what's not. Okay. So, so this was, you were at Abercrombie and Fitch with that? Yeah. Okay. And then how did you get towards so Adidas? Yeah. Was Adidas your, the first company you worked for in, in sort of the football kit or sportswear market? No, after um, Abercrombie, then I went to the North Face. Um, okay. So I was there for a little over a year and, you know, I, I loved, uh, my job there and my colleagues and, um, I don't know what would happen to, to my future, but, you know, it so happened that, um, a designer from Adidas Portland had joined the North Face and we had got to talking and, um, you know, and then I just started asking her questions about, Adidas, I've, you know, I always admired uh, the brand, but never really thought of working for them. And then, you know, she, um, um, I don't know, it, it, after talking with her, it, it seemed much more tangible. And then she put me in touch with Adidas Germany. I contacted them. They asked for a project. I did one on um, uh, football design because that's uh, the position I interviewed for and then um yeah ended up getting a job i remember you know i'd done a video conference interview with them uh from portland and took the job sight unseen didn't even go to herzo or nuremberg just took the job because you know what it was about the job it wasn't 
didn't matter where it was. It could have been, you know, Kuala Lumpur, Timbuktu, and <laughs> I would have taken it. And um, so, yeah. Okay, so that, I mean, the way you, obviously you've you've had an interest in design and fashion design and so on. So this, although this was a great role for you, it was all of your roles have been kind of great in a in a way because it had all been kind of things you were, you were interested in and now you were headed towards this sported area did you find the way the setup was was similar to to the background or was it a lot more focused on the technical side the, because of obviously performance comes into it was that was that something you needed to learn um and i <laughs> To be truly honest, I would say um, to aim to be as technical as possible is the right thing to do. Of course, when you're working for a sport performance company, but sometimes um, I would say marketing directives override sound um, technical performance. Okay. And that's with, that's with every company. Okay. Say that. So that's, so are we suggesting then that saleability comes before performance on, on the field of play? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> saleability as, as, uh, um, as marketing driven. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, so the the story behind things and and the ease at which you can market a product based on on colours and so forth. I, I suppose the way around this, in a way, is is the way we have different versions of kits for players and that will be released onto the market. Is was that something? Or we'll go into the basics in a second. But is that something that happens on the drawing board, or is that a, a a stage further so would you design two versions of every kit one to one to be worn and one to be sold in the shops yeah yeah um i would say part of the reason for that is also price point you know if you're putting more quote-unquote technology into a garment for the promo styles for players they cost more um so you know at retail it might be price prohibitive to do that. So, you know, you're going to have to do, um, yeah, I guess more of a, a, a retail based version of it. Okay. Um, regarding the process, I'd imagine there are parallels between sort of fashion design and, and sportswear design, um, marketed obviously is a, a major parallel there, but the, in terms of, Let's let's take one of my favorite. Well, my favorite shirt of all time is the 2007 to 2008 season Olympique de Marseille third shirt, which is the orange one with the uh, it's the gold pay design, I think, and it's the yeah. with blue details on it. Now, this is one that you designed, but when I say that you designed it, who chose the colors? Where did the template come from? Where's the order of events here? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say the template was designed by Patty. Patty is, she's still at Adidas. Um, and just a side story on her. 
uh, I would say that Patty is probably one of the best template designers out there. And the thing is, Patty doesn't really follow football um, apart from Sergio Ramos. And <laughs> I'll let you figure out why she does follows him. But, uh, um, you know, so just to, to give credit where credit's due, I mean, Patty's just, she's definitely one of the, the best and, you know, it just goes to show you that you don't need to, um, you know, be a hardcore uh, football fan to to design for football. And I think she's a great example of it. Uh, so the template was established. Um, just in colors. terms of time scales, when when would the template of what what sort of period would the would the template have been worked on? How long would it have taken? And when would it have been finalized for the 2007? Because that template is for that season, 2007, 2008. So where would it have been sort of started to be thinking about? And, and when would it have been finished? Um, yeah, at that point, I think at, at Adidas, it was on um, 2007, around a 12-month um, schedule or timeline. Okay. So... Yeah, I'd say probably 12 months before um, to the design process for all the templates. Um, I don't know. I would say probably in a month and a half, if okay. that, really. Uh, you know, I I remember I joined Adidas in 2005 um, and 2007 was one of the... Uh, first project so yeah maybe 12 months to yeah to 18 months at that point but okay. i think it's gone a lot faster and um um yeah so but you know we had all gotten together and we did um um different designs and um brainstorming so it just so happened that you know i think when we sit, we sat down with uh, the product managers and marketing that, um, you know, Patty end, ended up doing the gold pay. I did the Honore, which is the uh, symmetrical um, kit from 2007. And, you know, I guess you, you would see certain aesthetics that were similar. So, you know, if, for, I don't know, I would say for different seasons, it, um, they end up, picking different templates just based on, um, I don't know, I guess just the, the different climate. And at that point we had done, you know, we were still in this cycle of doing much more cut and sew and inserts. And so, you know, we had done those and so they ended up picking them. Yeah. Okay. So, so, this would have been a continuous process. So you would have worked, there would have been a little bit of overlapping when you were setting up the templates and templates would have been for that season would have been finalized at the same time. And then you start in working on the individual kits in, yeah. in the stable, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we only, we only started working on the kits once we knew that um, the templates were viable. So, you know, up in, once they were finalized, then we would start um, coloring them up and doing the graphics for the different clubs. Okay. So, so with that, uh, that low M shirt, 
who would have decided that that was the the colorway that was going to be used on that template for that season's uh, uh, did you know when you were designing it it was going to be the third kit um i knew the color was going to be for the third kit um I'm pretty sure the, the color came from the club because I don't think that I would have thought of doing an orange. And, you know, I, I hadn't uh, known enough history of uh, Marseille to, to say, hey, you know what, let's do an orange kit. So, okay. um, you know, at that point they had suggested it. Um, but I don't know. I feel lucky to have designed and privileged to have designed for Marseille because you know, m most designers want to design for the biggest clubs, you know, and at that point it was like um, Liverpool or Milan and, you know, but I don't know. I'm really happy to have done Marseille because they gave, they gave me carte blanche to do whatever really, you know, and maybe the colors were decided, but everything else wasn't. So, um, you know, and just came up with ideas and uh, I don't know, they ended up just, they ended up taking it and the, the, the Marseille third kit from 2007 is the first graphic kit that I've ever designed. And maybe because of that, it's, you know, has a, a special place in my heart, but to be honest, I don't know why that would be your favorite of all time. <laughs> well uh, many people have asked me that question and uh um my uh depending on the person my response is is rude or not rude um the so i mean that's interesting but something about the kits for that season is that that strikes me and this isn't always the case so i want to know how the decision is taken is that none of the elements of the kit can be transferred across to to say be warm with the away kit really and and for that kit you had change items so there were change or i remember there were change shorts so the first choice shorts were blue and then they were um a, and then you had an orange pair as well that you could be worn with them yeah. so is that something that you have a hand in or does that happen later through necessity how does that work or and when, when other people are designed, so someone else in your office, let's say, is designing the away kit for that season, would you talk to them and say, okay, well, maybe we should make the shorts also be able to be used with the away kit? Would that happen? Or is that, is that just a fantasy? No, no, no. It's all, it's all planned uh, because, you know, before you start um, designing or coloring up, you have to, you know, keep in mind um, UEFA regulations. So, you know, we know all that before we start and, you know, the blue shorts, you know, you you end up wearing that with the home and a, away um, anyway. So to have that, a blue, um, the baby blue short for the third, you don't have as much versatility. So you have to have another short with it. And, you know, um, we knew that going into it. Okay. All right. That's, but then for the other kits, you would, because of, because of how the brief is set out for other kits, you would have the option of swapping things over. So the the other yeah. kit that you designed that that actually was in the the fifty greatest football shirts ever was the the France uh, the the France kit that they wore at the twenty ten World Cup in South Africa, which was the Tech Fit design. Now on that one, the shorts could be worn with the home kit and the away kit, couldn't they? They were 
they yeah. could be swapped over. But did you design both kits in that case? Yeah. You, so you, yeah. yours were home and away. Now, yeah. what was the thinking behind that one? Did did Adidas know at the time that that was going to be their last kit for France? Uh, no, um, but we did get a brief from the FFF to celebrate uh, 1984 and 98. You know, 84 okay. was their first um, trophy, you know, with the Euros and then 98 uh, with the World Cup. So it's really a, a celebration um you know of the past um and although you know france in 2010 was a blip in world football um i think i think the france kits were really the the you know my first inspirations for me going to adidas because i remember growing up watching um you know football on on tv and seeing the the france kits from adidas and they had the the three color stripes you know going down the the shoulder and i thought damn that's so wicked so i think that's that's what really um you know drove me into um football kit design and in particular Adidas. It was really that, you know, the, the, the French kits. Yeah. Oh, well, I think it was a particularly fitting last Adidas kit to, to reference the two most, yeah. um, most important moments in, in French football history, certainly the, the national side. And it also did have the detail on the, on the stripes as well, didn't it? I think it did have the French flag detail on the stripes on the shoulders as well, didn't it? Yeah, on, yeah. The, on the shoulders and then the piping on the back. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and then um, the graphic on the the front, yeah, that's inspired by 84 and 98. And the stripes, there are 11 stripes um, signifying 11 players. Um, and then the gradient is made out of hexagons because, you know, I didn't know of, up until that point that France... It, uh, was considered uh, the hexagon country just because of the geography of the, yeah of it just just the basic shape of the, yeah. of the country of the hexagon more or less yeah, yeah. it's a it's an interesting idea so these are the elements that that stray into the marketing side so do you have a marketing team that will talk to you during the design process and say either tell us why you're making this so we can sell it as that or do they say to you you've got to include this because this is part of our marketing spiel how does that bit work um i think you know what i would say with with that brief in particular it was um we had gotten the brief from you know the fff and then i was handed it from product management and to be honest they were more more a, a liaison i think the reason I focused on the hexagon was it, it was because they had updated the crest and they included the hexagon in it. So I wanted to incorporate that. Um, but to be really honest, they were the liaison. And I would say the first ideas uh, came from the FFF. Um, okay. Um, regarding in international teams, um, 
obviously you say that Marseille probably told you to have have oranges as the third kit color for that season for that uh, for that low M shirt. The international international teams tended to have the away kit would be like a reversal of the home a lot of the time. In recent seasons, we've seen maybe a lot of them moving away from that and and being more um, imaginative with the colours they use on change kits. Was that something you noticed and was it something that, that the manufacturers would have put forward or tried to sell to the, the different associations to say, okay, we, this is more marketable if we use a different colour? How, how does it work? Do you know? Yeah, I would say that um you know there was there was this the big thing of having the home away and then the third kit and then i think if you look at sales you'll notice that it's always a home or away kit and so um the third kit you'll you'll get some traction on it but you know nothing like even the away kit so i think the the trend has been to go away from being more garish on the third to the away. Mm. And if you think about the concept, I think it's a, it's a smart idea to do that. Okay. Well, we've seen, obviously, in recent years, we've seen a lot of black shirts. So it wasn't allowed in the, in the 80s and 90s in most cases because referees would, would wear black. But now we see a lot of black kits, and that's solely driven by sales, I would assume, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because, it, you know, you can, it's tasteful, um, and, you know, brands have to also look at the the athleisure side of it where you know you've got fans who are wearing the kits you know off the pitch and you know it's easy to wear black so i'd say that's a big reason for it um in terms of the colors do the manufacturers have i know the brief will come from the clubs but do the manufacturers ever investigate how useful a kit is going to be over a season. So, for example, there's been a lot of uh, controversy this season over Norwich City seem to have three kits that are very similar. They seem to work, but by the skin of their teeth because the colours are all used on on each kit. So there's nothing distinct about the kits you wouldn't have thought. Would you ever look at that and say, okay, we can't have this much blue on this away kit because when we play, when this team plays against this side they're going to have problems. Would that be ever a consideration or would the brief have already made, made that clear? Definitely. And that goes back to the UEFA regulations um, where, you know, the home and away have to be contrasting and also they need to be contrasting to the goalkeeper kits. So um, in that sense, um, it's something you think about from the beginning. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen, all the Norwich kits, so I, I can't say, but uh, um, I don't know, maybe from what you're telling me, maybe someone hasn't done their due diligence. Well, it is an interesting one. We've talked about it on other podcasts because when, you, when it actually comes down to it, and Dennis Hurley has got a, a piece, which we've already talked about it on, on this, but where he explains that, that whoever they could come up against generally speaking they'll be okay but it seems a brave decision so especially if we talk about a time scale of maybe 12 to 18 months before the season when the kit's going to be used without seeing the fixtures for them to have have created these kits so the, the home kit is is yellow and green probably in equal amounts the away kit is is green and yellow 
you know, almost equal amounts, just a slight bit more green, really, on the away kit. I suppose you could use chain shorts and so on. And the third kit uses green, yellow, and amber, I think, with black shorts. So it's, it seems like they they won't have fulfilled the requirements, but somehow they have. So it's, I don't know. It's it's difficult to know whether that, that was through chance or or they actually um, they actually planned ahead perfectly. But it's it's pretty impressive <laughs> if they did manage that. Yeah, I you know what the the thing with that too is that uh, so you'll you'll have the designs and then um, Norwich would uh, need to submit the designs to the league. So the league ultimately makes the the final call. And you know if 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 it is the case where you know a couple of the kits are too similar, it's I would say then the responsibility falls on the league because they approved it in the end. And, um, you know, all the clubs have a certain deadline in which they need to submit uh, the final kits and then in sample form. And then, um, and then it's up to the league to, to decide. So someone, you know, someone with the, the league approved it. So when would that deadline be? Would there be time? Have you have ever had an instance where the league has come back and said, well, no, this isn't ad- adequate and you've had to quickly rush out a new kit? Um, I can't, um, I can't recollect any, any experiences from, from my time or any, anyone else at, at Adidas um, or even from Hummel. Um, but I'm sure it's happened a lot of the time if there's a, a new contract with adidas for example and so it's the first season of wearing this so i think it happened with wales so wales got the adidas contract a couple of years ago and the first kit that they got was essentially from the team wear range or it's it's very basic so it's barely bespoke is that a standard thing or would the would there be exceptions so manchester united didn't get a bespoke kit and i'm not sure when that deal was actually signed but how does the the time scale would it is it possible to squeeze things into being done very very quickly if need be definitely you know i think if um um if adidas had uh had signed england for example um there's no way they would give England a basic team wear kit so it's always possible and you know the the way around that too is that you know you you end up producing first the quantities for um the qualification matches or the friendlies and then and then for retail you know so it's possible the thing is though you know when it comes to you know all the uh the countries and whatnot they're they're uh, put into a tiering system. So, you know, um, England would be in a federation, no doubt about it. So, you know, they would have the, you know, Adidas would invest the resources to, um, to give them a bespoke kit. That's just the way it is. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, could you imagine, um, a team where kits, um, for France or Spain, there's no no chance in hell that's going to happen <laughs> okay interesting it's interesting to know what about in in uh speculative kits so 
for example, and I don't want you to tell me whether this is real or not, so don't worry. But a couple of years ago, before Puma took over the uh, the Arsenal contract, there was uh, an Adidas shirt doing the rounds, and it looked pretty genuine. Now, would I know that they were in negotiations? It seemed like Adidas were in in negotiations with Arsenal, and so were Puma at the same time. And Puma got it in the end. Would you be tasked with design a kit or put together some sort of prototype because either we want to show them what the kit will look like or we're probably going to get this contract so we need to start working on this now yeah i <laughs> i think um i think at that point the kit itself is irrelevant it's so it's really about the uh the the figures involved with the contract so you know like i said before you can I think these the clubs and federations know what to expect from um, from the sponsors. So it, it's really not about the kid. It's more about you know the numbers involved. So um, I think you you could do that and come up with concepts and sketches and whatnot. But really, at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't even look at it. That's that's. I suppose that's modern football. That's incredibly sad yeah. to hear. But on the other side of that, then, if they knew that a, a deal was coming, but the sort of the the T's hadn't been crossed or the I's hadn't been dotted, would would they say to you, "Okay, we need to start working on this"? It hasn't been confirmed, but we do need to start either putting toward putting together mood boards or putting together initial designs. Would that be something you'd be tasked with? I. I would say really it was, it would happen, you know, they would in some ways prepare for it, but from a design perspective, just purely from the design perspective, I would say that would be, that would happen after um, the contract was signed. After it was signed. Okay. Yeah. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, so... A few years ago, you left Adidas and you went to Hummel. Now, obviously, another a brand with a huge, uh, I suppose, legacy and and history in in football kit design. Was this something you got excited about when you went to Hummel? I'm sure it was, but uh, in what ways did it, did it excite you? Looking at the past, I'm thinking mainly Denmark, I suppose, in the in the 80s. Was that an exciting time for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when when I had left Adidas, you know, I had felt that 
I had accomplished everything I wanted to. And, you know, there wouldn't have really been anything left for me to do. I mean, you can keep on designing kits, training wear, collections, etc. But um, I don't know. I think I needed new challenges. And when I ended up going to Hummel, um, you know, I had a, a bigger role in the creative direction, design direction, and really was able to make it what I thought it should be. And um, in that sense, I think it was much more gratifying than um, working at a, at a bigger brand because at a bigger brand, you are going to have uh, much more hierarchies and bureaucracy and paper pushing and, you know, um, whereas in a smaller brand, they're more nimble and you have an idea, people are up for um, pursuing it without, you know, all the, all the tape that comes with it. So I would say they're very, they're very different brands. Um, for me, they're both very gratifying in different ways. Okay. So what are the biggest projects you worked on at, uh, at Hummel was the St. Pauli. So yeah. there was, before you designed the kits, there was already a relationship with St. Pauli and, and Hummel, wasn't there? Was you were designing leisure ranges, was it? Yeah, we'd done a, a bit of, um, yeah, of apparel and then, um, a bit of footwear. Um, but yeah, I guess it all really, um, um, shot off once we find a proper contract to do uh, the football kits. And who was it who made the kits before? Was it Do You Football, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you got the contract for them. So to what extent did they, those kits for, is it two seasons worth? Yeah. That, okay, so there's two seasons worth of St. Pauli kits. That, and they're, they're worth looking at because there's all kinds of crazy things happening, all kinds of innovation, Um Glow in the dark is that one element there is yeah. to it. Okay, so there's things yeah. like that. It's worth having a look at the whole ranges because they are great. Um, was this something that came from the club that said, okay, these are the features we want to include, or did they more give you, as you say, carte blanche to to do whatever you liked with it? Um, you know, when we met with the club, uh, you know, they gave us a little bit of the history of the club and then um, left us with. Um, just a key word, Kietzelden. Kietzelden in German translates to neighborhood heroes or um, heroes from the hood. You know, Keats is more or less the hood. So um, that's it, you know. And apart from doing a, a brown home kit, which is tradition, and white for away, everything else was, yeah, really up to, to me to decide. And, um, I just went back from the meeting and just brainstormed and then, I don't know, it just kind of all fell into place. Okay, so I, I, I'd imagine it was quite a, a fun thing to work on because they come from a, I suppose, a, a left-wing and liberal stance. So there's there's a lot of things that you maybe wouldn't see in other football kits. So uh, the cuffs on, is it the current season away shirt? Uh, are uh, the rainbow flag is that right yeah yeah okay so so there's things like this where you you could actually 
sort of tap into whatever's going on in culture as well yeah. worldwide which you maybe yeah. don't get that opportunity with other clubs yeah and uh, you know i i think in general though um there's all there's that opportunity to put more of the zeitgeist um into today's kids and you know if i look back at the kids that really inspired me, you know, they, they come from the early nineties and they were, you know, the designers then, I think they were, they were, they were doing so much, um, whether good or bad, but they were really pushing, pushing it. I would say compared to what goes on now, um, that, I don't know. I think the one the the football kids that stick the most to me are the ones that really push it. That weren't just you know another blue kit or another uh, gradient pattern on it, or you know they were there. There was just much more spirit and life in them, and um, yeah, I think that that opportunity is always going to be there and. Let's see. I think we're we're starting to see this um, '90s influence come back into to kids. So you know, maybe in a couple of years they'll be just as crazy, if not more. Well, obviously, in around 2009, Umbro seemed to strip it all back, and and all that kind of thing was was gone. And now we are definitely seeing the influence. Uh, Warrior were were a brand that brought back all that that kind of thing, and you could certainly see the influence on you in the St. Pauli kits. Um, going forward as well, obviously these bolder patterns may well come into it. Uh, what about technology? Where are we going with that? Well, I would, I would say that then we're um, treading into territory that you really like to talk about, you know, <laughs> and that's base layers. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's funny when I go to the gym and I, I, um, see people you know in their workout clothing they're they're all in layers so they'll wear long um tights and then shorts over them i don't know if i when i really look at that i feel like that's very dated because i think in the future it's just going to be about one layer and that comes back to you jay that's the the base layer you know you're um there was that one PSG kit that had the engineer knit. I'm sure you're probably a fan of that, right? What's, sorry, which one are you talking about? It's the, was it black? It must be like dark midnight or black. So the, this yeah. season's third shirt. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually own that base layer. <laughs> no surprise, huh? <laughs> the, the um so so they they have actually tried to integrate the base layer with the outer layer but you're suggesting that that is going to be a thing of the past that the whole base layer thing will go well i think that will be the only layer actually mm. so you know you'll be able to engineer um smart fibers into the knit so you'll have smart fibers en engineered into you know a knit that's uh, body mapped. So I think the combination of both and then being able to, um, engineer different sorts of 
three-dimensional textures to let's say create microclimates within the knit to different weights um, of yarns, et cetera. I think you put all that together. It's almost like a Nike uh, fly knit, you know, in, in a kit design. So we're thinking that, that these kits are going to be tight as well then? Um, could be, but not, not necessarily. Um, but I don't know. I would maybe logic would dictate, yeah, tighter the, the, or fitted. The, the thing for me that, that confuses me is we, we have such advancement in shirts particularly, but the socks, that, the socks, when you're designing them and, and you're designing based on the latest technology as well, just the whole notion of a sock just seems strange to me. Yeah. Like it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't make it out of that material. That seems a, a, um, it's just seems a, a traditional element of the kit. Why would you actually use something that still is thick and heavy to that extent? Wouldn't you well, use another material for that? Yeah. What would you think? Let's say if you were a sock designer. Uh, I, I don't think I would. I think I would just paint it on. I don't know why you would have. You would put it on with tape or something. Just the lightest possible fabric and, if possible, nothing. Obviously, you've got a shin pad there that needs to be held in place, but you could, help, you could be more efficient in the way you hold it in place than, than put, essentially, a, a big wrap of wool around around your lower leg i would have thought but it doesn't <laughs> seem like it's the most efficient way of of creating sportswear yeah but you know what it's it's questions like that that are going to push uh football sock design to be honest uh, i think those are great questions to ask um, but you know you also have to remember that we've got limitations when it comes to um the yarns and what they can or what they can't do and elasticity and how often you can um, um, wear the socks because, you know, when you're, when you've got um, socks for PSG, for, for example, they're, they're wearing it once and then that's it. But then mm -hmm. you also have to think about clubs that buy regular team wear, yeah. you know, and they're, you know, they've got the same necessities. The only thing is they need to wash um, the socks over and over again and has to be at certain temperatures and, and you know, the, the socks have to um, stay elastic if you're putting them under 60 degrees or, you know, and, and a dryer and, you know, so that's the other side of, you know, football kit design that a lot of people don't see is that, you know, there are either rules that we have to abide by or limitations with the, the fibers themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I suppose that that is the the debate sometimes. So, for example, if the, the latest boots that you create, for, that Nike would create for Cristiano Ronaldo, that's great, but he's never going to pay for a pair of boots. So whilst it's got to be perfectly to, to his liking, it's he is really just a, a model for them and a reason why other people will buy them really in terms of making the, the boots, you should be catering for the people who are going to buy them in the shops more than the player. Yeah. It's, it's the balance you get from that because obviously he, he's got to do well on the pitch for the boot to be sub, uh, desirable from the public. But then if no one 
can actually wear the boot because they haven't got a foot shape like Cristiano Ronaldo, then you get another problem there where the reviews come back, this boot is uh, has broken my foot. So yeah. the, the balance is always going to be there, like you say. So uh, that's a great example. A pub team is going to want socks that last a whole season, whereas a Premier League team wants socks that you can easily cut the foot off because they're going to use their own socks anyway. And yeah. And it could be thrown away after the game. So, yeah, yeah the balance between the two is probably uh, as uh, difficult. And, yes, it's, yeah, difficult to 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 get right sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's been fantastic, Jason. I think uh, we've learned so much. We've been talking for a very, very long time now, but that's, that's great. I, I take it. As a freelance kit designer, this is just my fantasy of how it works. You work hard during the day, and now your evening is is basically going to be the uh, the R. Kelly ignition video, something like that. Is that is this <laughs> is that about right? You, or the a Beyonce formation video? <laughs> well, maybe. <yeah. laughs> no, no. no. I, you know what? I think um, I think that anyone can can be. Uh, a kit designer and, you know, not only a fantasy kit designer, but to work for a brand, it's really, you know, how much do you want it? Mm. So, cause I really feel like, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And, you know, it's not, it's not far fetched and it's, you know, it's not really, it's not really a dream. And I think, um, yeah, for any of those, you know, that want to do it, just, really you know put those put the hours into it you know after your your full-time job or studying and you know it's definitely possible yeah uh uh from from what you've said you you're certainly an inspiration in that so it's firstly it's never too late and and secondly the there there needs to be the basis there so if you really want it then you've probably been working towards it inadvertently if not um actually in a role and you probably get there at the end so from what you said the right people will get those those jobs so that's incredibly encouraging as well um just regarding your work uh is it eldeho.com is that right yeah okay so that's something that that people should visit it's uh jason is l am i pronouncing that right is it eldeho yeah yeah eldeho on twitter which is e l d e J-O, um, if you wanted to talk to him. Is that okay? Are we, are we okay yeah. to advertise that fact? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't sound too media, right? <laughs> that is social media. We have to do it. Um, the, uh, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for talking to me. We may well speak to you again in the future. I hope we do. Um, so give Jason a shout if you want to discuss these things further uh if you want to speak to me i'm j29ers on twitter uh head over to the website which is designfootball.com if you're not already aware uh design football on twitter designfootball.com on facebook as well um and we'll speak to you again soon with someone new and thanks very much thanks thanks a lot for inviting me i really appreciate it thank you jason bye-bye now all right bye